Welcome back in. It is the Bill Michaels Show. Ben Kenny, Zach Heilprin in for Bill today. Bill again is off next week. Myself and Grant Bills are taking you through next week, talking everything. We're going to get into Brewers coming up here in a little bit. But first, joining us now on the hotline, Matt Zemek. He is on Twitter, at Matt Zemek, editor of Trojans Wire, covers USC Trojans Athletics. Matt, how are you? I wonder what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I, I mean, do you have any ideas? I, has there been any big news regarding that institution aside from rich people paying to have their kids be fake athletes? No, I mean, you know, and this is all about money. I mean, let's just face it, that uh, USC was offered mountains and mountains of cash. You know, USC and UCLA are expected to get uh, at or, or near $100 million per year as part of a Big Ten media rights package, which is now approaching, I believe, $1.2 billion uh, per year. So, you know, if someone uh, comes up to you and says, hey, here's, um, you know, $60 million more million than what you're already making, what are you going to say? Uh, I think you're going to say, yes, please, thank you. And so one of the, one of the things here is that, you know, for anyone who thinks USC has betrayed the Pac-12 or USC has destroyed college football, no, it's it's television which is destroying college football. It's ESPN and Fox uh, which are destroying college football. It's it's this runaway uh, arms race, runaway greed, runaway dollars, and like if so, if you're a USC, you're offered you know tens of extra millions of dollars per year. Like, you're not going to say no, and, and, and even more so from UCLA's standpoint. You at UCLA, uh, I don't know if you know this, Ben, you know, hemorrhaging cash, drowning in debt. You, UCLA uh, was gonna probably going to have to cut some Olympic sports if it didn't get a huge infusion of cash. So this is saving UCLA's Olympic and non-revenue sports. If someone's giving you tens of extra millions of dollars per year in this economy, you're going to say yes. So it's the, we should be focused on the forces surrounding this, the forces that led USC and UCLA to be in this position where leaving the Pac-12 is what, you know, is, is dramatically improving uh, their economic outlook. So, you know, that's, that's Larry Scott, but it's also what ESPN and Fox have been doing behind the scenes, and we can obviously get into the details of that. Yeah, I did see that report about UCLA hemorrhaging money. I I wanted to ask first, I mean, what has been the reaction around USC circles regarding the move? Is there excitement about joining the Big Ten? Maybe first from a football perspective. Uh, Is there excitement about joining the conference and going toe-to-toe with the Midwestern powers? Or is there a little bit of, wow, you know, the Pac-12 is slowly dying in front of our eyes? What, What do you see more? I see more of excitement. I see more of, you know, hey, you know, goodbye, Pac-12. You know, you didn't treat us well while we were a member. And it's kind of unfortunate for George Klyavkov, Ben, because he actually did a lot to make USC's outlook better. You know, the re- changing the format for the Pac-12 championship game, you know, getting rid of the divisional requirement so that USC didn't have to beat out Utah. It could just finish in the top two of the conference to make it in the title game. So in other words, Oregon didn't have a free ride through the Pac-12 North. That move helped USC. That was a tangible demonstration from Klyavkov that he wants to give USC football every chance to succeed. But, of course, it was too late for him 
because what Larry Scott did over the past several years and the fact that the Pac-12 fell so far behind the Big Ten and the SEC in the arms race, USC fans are glad to be out of the Pac-12. They're glad to have the extra money. They're glad to have uh, the improved exposure. And with, you know, with Lincoln Riley now being aboard, there's no doubt among the USC fan base, yeah, we can go head-to-head with Ohio State. We can go head-to-head with Michigan, with uh, your Wisconsin Badgers, with uh, Penn State, Michigan State. Bring it on. We're, we're ready. We're going to be ready, uh, certainly in 2024, with all the prospects that we're going to uh, have brought into the program at that time. So fans are generally happy. There is also still the sentiment, not to be ignored or minimized, of you know Pac-12 traditionalists who realize that the Rose Bowl, as we have known it, as we have loved it, as we have cherished it over the decades, is dead. You know, you don't have the Pac-12, Big Ten, Rose Bowl anymore. It's just going to be one of a series of playoff games, quarterfinal, semifinal. Maybe it's going to be a title game uh, every now and then. But it's not going to be that, that, that old, you know, the Big Ten fans making the trek to Pasadena on January 1, you know, as Wisconsin has experienced uh, many times over the past 30 years, you know, that, that romantic notion of the pilgrimage, which has been such a central part of the Rose Bowl story in the larger life of college football. You know, even before the Big Ten, uh, Pac-12, well, back then it was the Pacific Coast Conference uh, agreement began in the 1945 season, that notion of the pilgrimage from, a, from a, an Eastern school to play a Western school still existed. Like Notre Dame Stanford in the 1925 Rose Bowl, Newt Rockney against Pop Warner, uh, the Washington-Alabama uh, Washington, Rose Bowl the next year in 1926, credited by many as being the game which established Alabama football. Like you wouldn't have the Nick Saban dynasty today if you didn't have Alabama making that journey west and beating a, a favored Washington team in the 1926 edition of the granddaddy. So, so much about the Rose Bowl is about this notion of the pilgrimage and like this sacred experience, you know, that Big Ten fans for generations have been able to treasure and look forward to. That's gone. That's done. And so there are, there are some fans, and I put myself in this group, who are lamenting the loss of that tradition more than, you know, the, the gaining of revenue for USC it's just a shattering moment for college football. The sport really has crossed the Rubicon. So you mentioned the death of the Pac-12 or the uh, what is seeming to be at least the dismembering of it. I, what do you see next with the other powers that are out there or the other schools that other conferences could want? Talking about Oregon, Washington. I know there was a report out there that was kind of uh, that was kind of proven to be false about all the other ones, like your Arizona State, Arizona with the big 12 looking at them. But what do you think of the other powers, your Stanford, Washington, Oregon? What do you think happens next with those schools? Does the PAC 12 go get other schools to fill the voids or do they just find their way out as well? Yeah. And so it's a fascinating series of interlocking questions right after USC uh, moved to the big 10, right after that news broke uh, a week ago. I was convinced, like just in the first 24, 36 hours after that news broke, that Oregon and Washington were headed to the Big Ten, and it was just a matter of time. But now, that doesn't seem nearly as certain. And I think the the most responsible way to look at all of this is just to say, 
we don't have a friggin' clue what's going to happen. It is, it is the open season. It's a jump ball. Everything's in the air. Uh, the state of play is incredibly fluid. You're seeing the conferences feel each other out like this Pac-12 ACC merger, you know, in the works. Who knows if that's actually going to happen? And and people have made the point that you know why would uh, ESPN you know tear up the ACC grant of rights? Why why would ESPN open up the grant of rights, which is a very friendly deal for ESPN? Like people in ACC country are irate at Commissioner Jim Phillips for the the league's media deals. Uh, the ACC schools would love to get out of that deal so they can shop themselves around, get a lot more money. Like if you're Clemson, like you, you would love to be able to go to the SEC and get that Disney cash. But the grant of rights is standing in the way of that. But, but ESPN has the ACC under very friendly terms. So why would ESPN open up that grant of rights? So, you know, in terms of looking at the chessboard, uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to see which way everything's going to go. Uh, so I was wrong about saying that Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten were a slam dunk. And one of the reasons for that, Ben, is that I don't know if you've been reading John Wilner, the Pac-12 journalist from the Wilner Hotline and the San Jose Mercury News, the guy who broke that USC to the Big Ten story. But, yep. you know, in his columns and also the columns of John Canzano, who's based in Portland, another great Pac-12 insider, you know, they're talking to media industry insiders. And one thing they uh, – dug up in terms of uh, what media executives and former industry executives have been, been saying is that Stanford is a more valuable property than Oregon. And I think if you ask most people around the country, you know, which, which Pac-12 schools media rights mean more, I think most people would have said Oregon because the Ducks have been in national title games uh, on, on multiple occasions over the past 13 years, uh, been more of a fixture in the Pac-12. I mean, they won the Rose Bowl a few years ago. Uh, you know, Mario Cristobal kept that program at a, at a solid level, maybe not an elite level, but certainly a very solid level. While Stanford's fallen off a cliff, most people would say Oregon's the more valuable property, but the industry insiders say that it's Stanford. And, and John Wilner said in a, in a mailbag column published today, Friday, uh, July 8th, that he thinks Stanford is first in line for the Big Ten if, if the Big Ten wants to add more Western members, more members from the Pac-12. So all of that's very surprising. It goes against my inclinations, and I would say the inclinations of a lot of people across the country. So what we thought was the actual state of play relative to media rights and football value, the industry insiders are saying, wait, that's not actually the case. So it really muddles the picture uh, on so many fronts. Matt Zemek joining us at Matt Zemek on Twitter, editor of Trojans Wire, covers USC athletics. Uh, last thing I need to ask you before I let you go, do you think three, four years down the road when this move actually happens and Wisconsin may face a USC on the football field, do you think Lincoln Riley is going to be able to do enough there to get that team good enough in the trenches and on the insides to really compete with the Big Ten? Well, so this, this brings up a really interesting point. People might say, well, USC's not going to go to, to defend Southern California's recruiting area quite as well now that Ohio State and Michigan State and Wisconsin are going to have more of a foot in the door. But the thing is, California is not producing offensive linemen or, for that matter, elite prospects uh, on other, uh, at other position groups, but especially along the lines the way that it used to. You know, Because parents in California, being a more liberal state, 
um, they're pulling their sons away from football, you know, over concerns about CTE. It's, it's just a different mindset relative to other states across the country. So USC was going to have to recruit in Texas and in other parts of the country anyway. So I don't think the recruiting hit or the recruiting pressure is going to be all that different. USC knows it has to recruit nationally to have a good enough line to, to deal with the slobber knockers uh, in Madison, in Columbus, in Ann Arbor. Uh, so, so in terms of that, that piece of the puzzle, it's just about being able to recruit nationally. That just becomes uh, even more pronounced uh, for USC. Awesome. All right. Big 10 guy, Matt Zemek, I guess at this point in time, or at least two years down the road, really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. There he is. Matt Zemek again on Twitter at Matt Zemek. Uh, the editor of Trojans wire covers USC athletics out there. All right. We're going to step away, take a quick break. The Milwaukee Brewers have an important series this weekend. Uh, the all-star break is nearing. They have scuffled a bit with a split against Pittsburgh and losing a series against the Chicago Cubs. They are playing Pittsburgh again this weekend. Zach and I are going to get into it. What do we need to see? What does the team need to do? What could the deadline look like? We're talking about it next. It is Ben Kenny and Zach Heilprin in for Bill Michaels. This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. You got to hear. Welcome back in. Couple segments left before we send you on your weekend. It's the Bill Michaels Show. Ben Kenny, Zach Heilprin are in for Bill. 877-867-1670. Still take calls on college football as we get to the end of the show here. But pretty big series for the Brewers coming up. Welcoming in the Pittsburgh Pirates this weekend. Grant Bills and I will be in for Bill next week. We'll talk about this series at length. But... It's been a so the Brewers went on that long losing streak uh, while Council was trying to break the record. Took them like two weeks to get two wins. That was amazing. Uh, it was kind of funny. It reached the point where it, it was hilarious. Where even they were losing Corbin Burns games. You yeah, know, yeah. Which well, I mean, they they always lose Corbin Burns games done somehow. That, done that in, uh, the last time out too. But now they've bounced back. Uh, they righted the ship. They started winning again. And then they entered this stretch where they get Pittsburgh, they get Chicago, now they get Pittsburgh again. The Cardinals are scuffling a little bit. It was a chance for them to really create distance between them and the Cardinals entering the All-Star break. In the last five, six games, that has not happened. In the last seven, they split with the Pirates, and then they just dropped two out of three to the Cubs. Two of those those losses obviously being much talked about with the woes with runners in scoring position, with Devin Williams not being available, all that good stuff. But now they get Pittsburgh again. And, I mean, a series win is obviously the expectation here and what they need to get back on track. But there also is that overarching question of what does this team really need? What do they need going forward? What could be the best addition to get them over the hump where if they make the playoffs, maybe they have a shot at going to the World Series? I mean, all of the big-time players, as we've all talked about, all the names that have been thrown out with Josh Bell, Frankie Montas, Luis Castillo, they're all going to be heavily uh, heavily wanted. A lot of teams are going to be out there, which means the price 
for them inherently is going to be very high. Are the Brewers in a point right now where they should be dishing out their top prospects like Jackson Churio, who's absolutely crushing it? They should not be doing that, no. Well, I agree that they shouldn't. But I was... <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to cut you off before you got too far into that, just because, uh, yeah, that's that's a non-starter. Well, my point was where they are right now as a team. They're at the top of the NL Central. They're winning. They are not healthy. They have not been healthy. But my whole thing with acquiring a hitter, like if someone said Jackson Churio for Josh Bell, I'd say hell no. But it's because I'm at the point where I don't think one impact bat is going to be the difference between this team winning or losing. Could you one impact bat? Whatever impact bat they would go for. Josh Bell is an example. Ben Attendee isn't even that much of an impact bat. He'd be a terrific defender in center field, which they clearly need given the last couple of weeks. But in terms of what bat could move the needle for them, I don't know. You you can look at some teams and say, oh, if they just get this guy, then they'll really be set for the playoffs. I don't think that one bat does it for the Brewers. I don't. No. The, the biggest question is, I mean, obviously the, the starting rotation is at the top of it with Corbin Burns. And we saw Brandon Woodruff the last time out since coming off the, the injury list. He's been really, really good. Do they need to add somebody else there? My point for the last three weeks has been yes. Yeah. I really think they do because, and this was before Woodruff came back. I was a little more hesitant to buy back into him being dominant yes. given he wasn't just dealing with an ankle injury. He was dealing with something where he couldn't feel the tips of his fingers. When you have to throw a curveball, kind of important, but he has been back and he has been dominant. I still need to see a couple more starts with it not flaring up to be totally cool. But even with him back, I'm not going to count on Freddie Peralta giving them anything. Now, it should be said, pitching off a mound uh, earlier this week out in Arizona. My best case scenario is maybe in the playoffs. He is, well, best case scenario is he's back and dominant. But I see him maybe in the playoffs could be a long relief guy. They could use him in high leverage spots coming out of the bullpen when it really gets down to it in the playoffs. But even with that rotation, Burns is Burns. He has been all year. Woodruff, if he pitched like he has the last two weeks, then he is the clear two and has been pitching like it. Lauer, I mean, terrific start to the year, then had some some bumpy starts, had a good start last time out. But even so, him at three, they cannot find themselves in a position in the playoffs with Jason Alexander, even Aaron Ashby, or Chichi Gonzalez starting a game. They're going to lose. Like, I, I would rather go in with the lineup they have today and – their rotation plus one more impact arm, I think that helps them a lot more than getting one bat. It does. I mean, especially if you can get Renfro back and healthy and in there consistently, right? Like have him be a part of it. Is Christian Yelich your leadoff guy for the rest of the year? Yes. I know he is in your mind for sure. They need they need their their best best plate. I mean, and this is so simple, right? They just they need to be better. Willie Adamas needs to be better. Uh, Christian Yelich needs to be better. Like these guys are not ones that you're going to replace. Like who? Maybe center field is is a spot you can be looking at. Yeah, a bat certainly there, right? And and defensively to an extent. But with center field and part of the, the options out there, they're not going to go move this crazy needle in the lineup. No. You get Andrew Benatendi at best, he could be your number two hitter if Adamas struggles. But even so, he might be down there at fifth or sixth. So it's like, what is that really doing aside from defense, which they need, but it's at the point I completely agree where it's, they're going to win. If come playoff time, Adamus, Yelich, Renfro, McCutcheon 
are all hitting and Rowdy Tellez. And they're going to lose if they're not hitting. Last year, That's they all happened. went deathly cold. Yeah. And one bat last year would not have made the difference no. in that series. No, no. I mean, that that team went on to win the World Series, right? So, I mean, it, it feels like they've run up against some pretty good teams in the playoffs uh, of late that went on to win. I believe the last three years they've lost to the team that went on to win the championship. 2008 Phillies is up there as well. Yes, but I wasn't going all the way back there. Yeah, uh, I was. Go- I was more thinking about obviously Washington in twenty nineteen and in twenty twenty it was the Dodgers, and then last year it was the Braves. Well, 2018, 2018 was the, the Dodgers, Dodgers lost to, in the World Series yes, to Boston, but they won the NLCS. So well, I guess. they won. They beat the Brewers <laughs> in the NLCS. Yeah, so I know. Can't really. <laughs> no, I know. But they've lost to a team that has gone to the World Series. I think every time. But the, like 2011, they were in the NLCS and lost. So obviously, and that yeah. team, I, I think the Cardinals went out they and did. won the championship. Yep. Yeah. So uh, either way, I think another arm in the rotation would make sense. So let's say Frankie Montas, high price. That's a name I've been throwing out forever. He's a little banged up right now. He had some AC joint tightness, I believe. Oh, just what just what the Brewers need: more tightness <laughs> somewhere on the body. Well, he was pulled from his last start because his velocity was way down and everybody thought he was getting traded. He's on my fantasy team, so I very closely monitor him. Gotcha. And uh, no, instead they did MRIs, but it wasn't major. It's something where I think he's starting again coming up next week and then they're going to see what's good with him. But yeah, I, I'm still in the boat of an arm would help more than a bat would at this point. Uh, I would, though, love to see some sort of center field help, maybe more low price. So I'm going to play defense out there because we've seen, I, I mean, the last week and a half, there have been how many mishaps in center field? Well, it's also like you had the ridiculous play by Jonathan Davis, you know, that he got, that he got hurt on. But then you also have the play that, and I know, look, they've been blessed with some ridiculous center field play from Lorenzo Cain and even Jackie Bradley Jr. To, an, to, to a little bit last year. He's a great defender. Great defender. That's it. But that, the the triple that um, Boxberg gave up it was almost a home run. I feel like almost anybody other than Jonathan Davis makes that play. Yep. Well, there was the inside the park home run to Suzuki either the day before or two days before. It was the one that tied it. Yes. Yeah. That they ended up winning. I think they ended up winning that game though, right? The Brewers. Yes. Yeah, that was July 4th. Yes. I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, He makes that play, and maybe that game doesn't get to the point where it, it did. It matters. And it's, it was one game. It's not like it's going to be like the worst thing ever. I know some people overreacted to it, uh, perhaps on this station earlier in the morning. Overreacting to something. Yes. Huh. Which <laughs> is perhaps the norm. But uh, it, it's a play that would have been a great play, but he wasn't even close. Like he just didn't re- even realize where he was out there and hit, and hit, his, and hit up against the wall before he even had a chance to jump. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the reaction. I'm not going to say whether it's an over or an under, but to the lack of success with runners in scoring position. Like, I hate to make it sound so simple, but the way I see it, like, if this team gets hot, they will win a lot of games. Their offense is not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. There are very extreme examples of ineptitude. Most of the time that Burns is on the mound, frankly, are, are, are when those inept moments come. But with runners in scoring position, I will note, although they went over six in that loss to the Cubs 
the other day. The Brewers, while they are, I believe, 25th in baseball in uh, attempts with runners in scoring position, so they don't get on enough. That is said. When they are in those positions, they're 12th in baseball on average. They're number one in slugging. They're number one in OPS. They have been able to come through more times than not or more than the average baseball team in that regard. So that's not the end of the world either. But how many of those opportunities are they getting? Not enough. Okay. But that's about getting on base. That's not about shortening up with runners in scoring position. But it stands out more. When you have fewer opportunities, Those that lack of taking advantage of them stands out more. That's true. And their lack of opportunities is pretty significant. I think that you said 25th? 25th. I will double check. The last time I checked, it was 25th. Yeah, in terms of uh, opportunities with runners in scoring position. 26th so. now, actually. Yeah. So those opportunities are not there. Like if you if you're at the top of it and you're uh, and you're not converting all the time, okay. But when you don't have as many opportunities, it's gonna it's gonna stand out a lot more. I would love to see the numbers since Yelich has moved to leadoff and since the offense has been better in that regard. Him definitely. Uh, Didn't he just get left on third? Wasn't he left on third in that game? In the eighth? Yes, I think so. No, I'm saying that the numbers... I know. Since he moved to leadoff in guys getting in scoring position because he undoubtedly helps that more from the leadoff than he does from the three-hole because it changed his approach as a hitter. For sure. Been calling for that for a year and a half. And and, And Craig Council, who doesn't know how to manage baseball, finally listened to you, right? Listens to the show. Hey, that was the one great idea I had. And if you're going to listen to any of my ideas, he listened to the right one. Did you mention it to him when he was on the show? Well, he was on the show after moving Yelich to leadoff. Did you congratulate him on that decision? Bill was hosting. Uh, you didn't. You didn't say that. Hey, when you picked up the phone to, I to, was to put him on. You should have been. Hey, Craig. I was thanks talking, for listening. Finally, I was talking to the Brewers PR guy. Oh, okay, great. and not Craig. Cox. Okay, all right. Well, can you pass along? They're keeping me away. Mike Mike Fasal, can you pass along that uh, I, it was my idea to put Yelich up there? I'm glad Craig finally listened to me. I'll do that next time. Okay. That's one of the things I've stood on. It's one of the things I've been right about. We mentioned my bad takes. That was a good one. That was a full show. And that was only your Badger takes and Philly takes. Just old tweets of, you know, sometimes you got to tweet through it, Zach. All right. 877-867-1670. Where are you at with this team? Where are you at with their series this weekend? We'll talk more about it. When we come back, it's the Bill Michaels Show. Ben Kenny, Zach Halpern in for Bill. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back in Bill Michael's Show. Couple segments left before we are out of here. Talking Brewers weekend trade deadline coming up. What does the team need? Where are you at with their inability or ability, depending on how you look at it, with runners in scoring position? 877-867-167. Let's go to the phones. Ken, how are you? Fabulous. How are you gentlemen today? Great show, by the way. I've been uh, enjoying your perspective on the team and, and what's been happening so far. Hey, I appreciate it. I am excited for the weekend. Uh, we are counting down the minutes at this point, but, you know, I can't complain. It's a Friday. Usually during the summer, this is the slowest time possible. I'm a baseball nut job, though, so I still kind of like it. But as a college football person first, I can't complain with what there is to talk about. Absolutely. There's enough to talk about, especially with the trade line coming up. Now, one uh, trade deadline. Now, one thing that I, I, I 
don't see enough from this team. And the better teams in this league tend to have this type of a managerial style. Yes, Craig Council, I know he's the Milwaukee homeboy. They love him. He's got the most wins as a brewer manager, blah, 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 blah. What he does not do, and this is a philosophical thing, and this is what drives me nuts, when you do get runners in scoring position, this team is not aggressive enough on the base pads. They do not steal enough. They do not manufacture runs very well. And this is why they struggle with runners in scoring position many times. If you watch the Cardinals, you watch the Dodgers, you watch the Yankees, you watch some of these teams that have been, you know, pinnacle in terms of what they're doing, they are aggressive. They keep pressure on the other team. If Council would start doing this more and and get his runners in motion, steal, double steal, squeeze play, keep pressure on a team, I think this team could get over that 95, 98, or 100 wins. But until they do that, Yes, it's great that they've made the playoffs the last four years in a row, okay? That's fabulous, because I lived through the 70s and the 80s. It was tough being a Brewer fan after 82. But I think that's the one downfall is his philosophical way that he goes about running his team. Now, what do they need? They definitely need another offensive bat. But if you were to just use that method of baseball, okay, you might see a huge change in the bats you have. In addition to that, how wait, I do think they're going to get another bat, a uh, pitcher. Going Go back to that, how so? How do you see it change? How the guys are able to hit? So, as an example, when you're moving, when you're moving your guys, when you're putting on steals, when you're actually putting pressure on another team, guys become more aggressive at the plate. If you watch the Brewers, a lot of times they're taking a lot of pitches. They're looking at a lot of pitches. When you put your men in motion, you don't have that opportunity. You have to swing the bat. Swinging the bat, making contact is incredibly important in this game. I agree with that completely. I think there's something to be said, though. This team is not the best out there at making contact. When they do make contact, things happen. But it's not like they are a team full of guys that don't strike out. You go up and down the lineup. I, there are Even Christian Yelich has his problems with that hitting leadoff where he's had success. So... I get the aggressiveness thing. I guess where I'm at is when I look up and down this lineup, who do I really trust at the plate to say he's going to throw you some junk? You have to put it in play. There aren't many guys. Well, well, actually, you look at the veterans on this team, right? So if you're guys like McCutcheon and Wong and and Yelich and, you you know, you've got a number of guys in there that these are seasoned veterans, they better be able to do it. And if you change that philosophy, you will see a sudden change in how the team starts, how their batting averages want to start increasing because it's a mentality, right? But if you're if you're told to stand up there and wait for your particular pitch and do this, that's garbage. As as a hitter, you want to be aggressive. Don't sit back and wait. You and and the other thing that I see sometimes, I love the fact, and I want to make this comment quick uh, about Yelich going to leadoff. I think that's the best thing that's happened that he went to leadoff. Why? He's got his money. He's he's gonna. This will be his last contract, in my opinion. So RBIs and things like that to him aren't a big deal. But getting him on base and getting the ball rolling—that's a great thing. Now you let your other guys that are getting on base. You turn those your, your other your other men in the lineup. You start 
becoming more aggressive when you're in scoring position. I think you're going to see this team score a lot more runs. They're going to give Ferns, Woody, and the other guys more help in order to win those games by becoming aggressive. And this team does need another pitcher. All the guys you mentioned about trades, I don't foresee the team picking up any of them. You know why? When has anyone that has tried to predict what Stearns was going to do been right? He doesn't tip his hand. That's what I love about Stearns. All of a sudden, before you know it, he makes a deal for a player, and they're like, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) I got you. All right, Ken. Appreciate the phone call, man. Hey, have a great day. Have a good weekend. Um, The Stearns thing he says at the end is very true, except I am going to predict that they're going to get a, a middle relief arm, and I'll probably be right about that. But the new, the other ones with the Renfro and Adamas, those trades I did not see coming, and they've all worked out. They've worked wonders. In terms of the aggressiveness thing, my problem is if you had guys out there that were prolific contact hitters that were near the top, like Tommy Edmond on the Cardinals, I, he's mentioning the Cardinals. If you had guys up there that were terrific and making contact with the baseball, then yeah, do it. You have speed on the base pass, make things happen. You look up and down this lineup, uh, the batting averages aren't high. I don't need to tell you that, but they strike out a good. Yeah, there's only six teams in the in majors that have more strikeouts per game than Brewers. So w- if you get aggressive and then you strike out, that's only running into more outs. So I think the cautious approach, maybe it is a managerial philosophy. Like going forward, there has been a lot written about how stealing bases, unless you do it at a certain clip, isn't necessarily smart. But there is something to be said about forcing the team to make a play. You got to do it, though, with prolific contact hitters at the plate. The Brewers maybe don't have any. When I look up and down, like Colton Wong, even this season, maybe has been in his career. He's been struggling this season and they get on base a lot because they walk because they have great eyes because they're selective. They chase pitchers. So that's their approach. And if they change that, you're going to see guys get on base less frequently. I feel like if anything, I just feel like they also haven't like had a consistent lineup together for long stretches because of injuries. Is that fair to say? All year. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. Because uh, you had Adamus out for a while. Renfro uh, out. Renfro's been in and out. Wong. McCutcheon, Wong, Arias. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Getting something consistent, yeah, definitely will help. Um, I don't know. I, I think overall, does this team need to be better in certain offensive categories? Yes. I also will say, given the setting they've been in with the injuries and with the lack of consistency, they've done a pretty good job. At winning games, for sure. They're they're 10 games over 500. They've got a a two-and-a-half game lead in the division. It's only going to be between them and St. Louis down the stretch. But I think it's pretty much, it's obvious that they need to add. There's, offensively, there's only nine teams that are scoring more runs than them overall this year. I think you think about some of the struggles that they've had at times that it's like, that that's hard to believe, but that's where they're at right now. The pitchiness, the starting pitching has fallen off from where it was last year, and that's not a surprise considering the injuries to Woodford, uh, excuse me, uh, Woodruff and uh, Peralta. So you have to, you do have to manufacture some more runs, but you also have to uh, continue to get some better starting pitching uh, consistently. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, 877-867-1670. Final segment of the Bill Michaels Show. It's coming up next. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Woo! 
welcome back in final segment before we are off on the weekend it's the bill michaels show uh braylon allen joined us in the last hour if you want to hear that interview it will be up on the podcast page just search the bill michaels show around 2 30 2 40 all of that will be posted big brewers weekend coming up they welcome in pittsburgh to town hopefully a winning weekend 877-867-1670 before we're out of here let's go to the phones ernie how's it going hey how are you man i i'm i'm doing well cannot complain what's on your mind yeah i'm old school i guess by the way you did a great job there um they don't throw the ball home the infielders don't there's been a couple of times they had the bases loaded and they're, they're charging a third baseman they were urious the other day charging I checked the replay. The guy was halfway up the line. He threw it to second, missed him. He was late. He had a, he had a force out at home plate. I could see if he's got to tag him out. He, I'd even try that. But in the shortstop, Adamas came forward a few times. His only play was at the plate, and he tried to throw to first or get two or something. I mean, and yesterday, I think it was the day before, Adamas, ball's going toward third. And he tries to go back to second and miss the guy instead of getting a force at third. Yeah, I got you. I, I I do think overall there are a lot of ways you can nitpick this team defensively, and rightfully so. Yes. They have not been yes. a good defensive baseball team, especially over the last like month-ish. And we were talking about center field earlier. You could look at that being the first point. But I, I don't know. Those yeah. specific instances, I can't uh, say for sure what exactly it should have been. I don't yeah. remember yeah, most of them. But They're isolated, but they were there. Yeah. No, uh, overall, though, this has not been a good defensive baseball team by any means. Right. Right. I'm kind of moonlighting on Bill when he's not here, but I mean, that's all right. You guys are doing great. <laughs> I, I got you. I won't let him know. I, I, I'm sure he's off in another dimension. Uh, so none of this will be heard. All right. Appreciate the phone call. All right, see ya. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They are not a good defensive team. No. And even Colton Wong, who was gold Glover, uh, yeah. supposed to be their defensive ace at second. He hasn't been good no. at all. Uh, Yelich has all, I mean, Recently, he hasn't been a great defender, so I didn't expect him to be. But Kane was that defender, and even so, he was old and and losing a step per se. Tonight, uh, Brewers-Pirates, Aaron Ashby against J.T. Brubaker on the bump. Brewers minus 204 on the money line. Big-time favorites. Uh, The run line is about even at this point, minus 1.5, over-under of 8. So they foresee maybe a little bit of a lower-ish scoring game. All the totals are around 7-9, to nine, so it's hard to garner anything from that. But Brewers, big-time favorites, they think Brubaker will get hit hard. Yeah, you know what else they don't also uh, think, or I should say the things that they do think? Not a lot of people are going to be able to watch this game. Yes, I forgot to mention that. It yes. is on Apple TV Plus tonight, Right. which I, I mean, I don't have... I, I could go hours talking about the joke of Big Ten broadcasting, uh, baseball, excuse me, broadcasting distribu- distribution. The blackout thing on MLB TV is a joke. But they're, try- they're trying to get, they're trying to change that. That's one of, that's that's his top priority, according, uh, Rob Mann for the, the commissioner. says top priority, getting rid of the blackout rule. But then unless you go actively seek out this information, you won't find it. The Brewers tonight play on Apple TV Plus. So if you have it, great. If you don't, I don't think you'll be able to watch the game. Too bad. Yeah, so. Is, is exactly what it is. I I feel like YouTube is one thing, right? Because you don't have to pay for YouTube. YouTube is very doable. Because you don't have to pay for it. There are still a lot of people out here that 
I'd be like, no, that's BS. I want to watch it on, I want to watch it on my TV. I don't have a smart TV. I, what the hell? So you're gonna have to listen to the radio, which is awesome as well. Yes, we are a proud Brewers affiliate. Turn the dial ninety six seven. I believe a lot of Bill Michaels affiliates are also Brewers affiliates. I don't know the number for sure, but tonight might be one of those nights. You're you're outside. You throw on the radio. You listen to Euchre and whoever else. I don't really know how they do it scientifically now. I feel like I hear different voices constantly come in and out. Yeah. But uh, kick back, listen to it on the radio, or if you pay for Apple TV Plus, then go watch it on there. I myself don't, so I will not be able to watch the game tonight. Players to to maybe note, uh, you look at the Brewers side, not many have much experience against Brew Baker. Christian Yelich has faced him 12 times. He's hitting 250. Luis Arias has faced him 12 times, 167. A lot of the numbers are pretty low. Jace Peterson, if he finds himself in the lineup, 11 at-bats, 273 average, one home run. Willie Adamas has gone deep off Brew Baker. You go to the other side on the Pirates, and not much experience against Ashby, understandably so. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, six at-bats. He's hitting 333. He has two hits. O'Neal Cruz, the young shortstop, who is an absolute phenom. And yes, he's a Pirate, but as one of those baseball nut jobs, I love watching him play. Six seven at short, and he's smooth. It's not an awkward six seven oh. as as a cannon. He's the next thing. He is awesome. If he played anywhere else, he'd be a huge story already. Yeah, I mean, I, he's going to be a huge story in Pittsburgh. But if he played in the Yankee system or he played in L.A., he would be the talk of of everything well, uh, baseball. And that's and I know that's tough because baseball doesn't get talked to nearly as much. We got Mike Trout and Shohei Otani both in L.A. and People probably couldn't pick them out of a lineup at this point, but he'd be the next big thing. O'Neill Cruz actually used to play in L.A. He was on the Dodgers and went over to the Pirates in a 2017 trade for Tony Watson, yeah, I believe, was, the reliever. He wasn't on the Dodgers. No, no. He was years away from coming up, but the chance was there for that to happen. So he his is home, his home run last week against Brewers. I've never seen a ball get out of the ballpark quicker. It's crazy. And it went a long way. He's on my fantasy team. That was one of those instant pickups where when a guy's called up, I just got to go after it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He carries that six, seven and is graceful with it. Hits tanks. He's one for two though, against Aaron Ashby with a home run. It might've been off Ashby. I think it was last week. Yeah, it probably was. Cause that's the only time you would have faced him. So that's what you're looking at tonight. Uh, I think the brewers do get it done. Ashby is okay, but the rest of the team is able to pick it up and hit brew Baker pretty well. And then you go through the rest of the weekend. Hopefully they take two out of three. Hopefully we get back in the winning ways against these poor teams in the NL Central. Grant Bills and I will be along for the ride on Monday to recap the weekend that was for the Brewers. Get into Packers stuff. This was our, I I needed this. This was our college football, Big Ten football centric Bill Michaels show with myself and Zach. Probably won't be another one uh, for the foreseeable future. But if you want more, uh, Zach and I do host a show Thursday nights from 6 to 7 here in Madison. Our podcast, Kenny and Heilprin, available whenever you find podcasts. Big plans this weekend, Zach? Huge plans. Huge plans. Doing nothing. Hanging out with the dog. Hanging out the dog. Hanging out the wife. You playing a lot of golf and waking up early, thinking about college football realignment while walking through town. Exactly. A lot of coffee mixed in. Uh, I'm excited. It's a needed weekend. It's a chill one. Sit back, watch some baseball. Enjoy it. Thanks, everyone, for hanging around. I will be back on Monday. See ya.
The Bill Michael Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.